The views expressed in our Chop Talk podcast are those of the individual participants only and do not necessarily express the views of the Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity or its chapters or members. Our Chop Talk podcasts are intended to be as open and honest with our members as possible, but we acknowledge that certain topics may be sensitive, graphic, or emotionally challenging. Please use your own discretion to avoid any material that you may find potentially painful or difficult. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm doing good. So today's topic, I think, is a little a little different. I think it may make some people uncomfortable, so I apologize ahead of time. Uh, but I think it's something very important that we need to discuss. Do you know what our topic is? Sexual relationships. Yeah, definitely. And we have such a great guest um, to really start covering some of these topics. And we may not cover everything, um, but there's a lot of different things that we want to get across um, in our about our podcast. Um, and so we're being joined today by Cindy Pierce. Um, she's talked at some of our conferences before. Um, she takes all of this knowledge she has on sex and relationships, and she puts a, almost a comedic spin on it, uh, which is still backed by data. Um, so it, it is a very interesting thing to talk about. Um, and I'm really excited that she's joining us today. And, and she's actually going to be at one of our conferences this summer. So um, let's jump into it. You want to? Of course. Let's do it. All right. Welcome back to the Chop Talk podcast. My name is Michael Covert, joined as always by Lindsay Hernowich. Hey. And our associate to the executive producer, Jaron Wilt. How are we doing? And our intern, Thomas McGrath. Hi. Great. So we're also joined by a really special guest today. Her name is Cindy Pierce. Um, so you, Lindsay, you want to go ahead and give us a quick little intro? Sure. So Cindy is a leading social sexuality educator and a comic storyteller who has been perfor- performing her one-woman comedic show and providing educated programs around healthy sexual behavior and choices since 2004. Yeah, so welcome, Cindy. Thanks so much for having me. And I guess I want to start out by saying I've actually heard Cindy speak before, and it's a very, very enjoyable experience. Um, she keeps people engaged while maybe some trying to address some of those taboo topics or, or, or things people may be uncomfortable with. So um, I just want to tell everyone, brace yourselves, because we're going to cover some of those topics today. Um, but I think it's good to air out some of these things exactly. and, and really take the uh, stigma away from you can't talk about these things or these things are, are, are bad, right? We really want to uh, to break down this stereotype of, of, of sex in general. And so I think Cindy is the perfect person to do that. Um, so let's jump into it. What do you guys think? Sounds good. All right. All right. Well, so I think the first thing I really want to talk about is, is in, we can talk kind of very high level, 40,000 foot view and then start working our way down. So I think the first thing I want to cover is really dating expectations on campus, expectations in Greek life in general. Um, so let's start with that. All right. Well, one thing I want to say right out of the blocks is that some people think if you talk to people about sex, they're going to want to do it more. If you talk to them about hookup culture, they're going to hook up more. And it's actually the reverse, that young people who are educated with accurate information end up taking their time, making more careful choices, and um, therefore have better experiences. So that's, you know, the bottom line is that, is that I do this work because I've heard about so many unfulfilling sexual experiences in the hookup scene. When people are in a big group, they're like, yeah, it's great. This is how we roll in college, like hooking up. It's, it's the way to go. It's casual. You know, I'm too busy. But when you talk to people individually, they're like, yeah, it's not going that well. So the, the amount of below average sex people are having in college and in Tinder world outside of college, after college and in high school, it's just, it's overwhelming. So, and once you get in the pattern, what you practice becomes your practice. So my goal is to really help people have 
you know, better experiences. That doesn't mean more experiences. That yeah. means like healthier, more awesome, fulfilling experiences. No, that, that makes total sense. But why do you think people put on this, this persona or this front that it's like the best thing ever, but behind, behind closed doors, it, it's really maybe something they're not enjoying or something um, that maybe they're just making up to, to, to appease the crowd. I think when we live in an age where we've got Google and people think by a young age, even before they get to college, they think they're supposed to know all about sex. And they're like, I'm a smart person and I have Google. I should be able to find everything I want to find. But when you get on, you know, start looking these things up, you're not finding the reliable, excellent resources that are going to help you have better sex. Like porn is redirecting people so you're getting misinformation and kind of misguided and I would say this not even in college in every age one thing I can count on in every audience where I speak is that very very few people feel sexually adequate and confident feel like they're good at sex most people get and that's because our culture and social media and everything we see on the internet and everything we see in the media has puts out this idea that everything's going well. So you people privately feel inadequate and just try to figure it out on the run and use alcohol as a social lubricant. And, and that is, doesn't really help that also like using alcohol to feel socially more comfortable and sexually more comfortable doesn't lead you to better sex. In fact, often the opposite. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we put on this front that we love this hookup culture and we love to, you know, like you said, use alcohol as a social lubricant? Well, I think the perception, I think perception drives a lot of angst. And so um, do you want to be a part of the club? You want to be a part of the scene? And it seems like everyone here, this is what it, we do. This is this is the rite of passage that you have to get on board. And when you go against it and say you don't, and misery loves company, right? Like if, if you're in it and you're like parting hard and just hooking up with randos and just like, and it's more about Sunday morning sitting around on brunch and sometimes you telling what you did or some people telling you what you did because you have no recollection of what you did. And it's so funny and everyone's like, this is how it is. This is college. And, you know, I was talking to a young woman recently who said, you know, she just left college and had a job in New York and she was, she's lonely and so lonely and unfulfilled and having a hard time dating. And, and, but her mother had lived in New York and was saying, Oh, it was the time of my life. It's it, and and it doesn't help that we glorify it. Like our generation, you know, I'm I'm my kids are in college. You know, you you glorify people. I hear people my age saying, "Oh, it was the time of my life." And so kids get to college and they're like, "This is this is the best time of my life." So I got to figure it out. And the and what everyone's doing is hooking up and drinking hard. So it's like, I guess I got to do that, and eventually this will be fun. So so many people just go along for the ride hoping it's eventually going to be fun and it you know some people really feel like that was a great time but I I just don't I, I mean I don't hear people individually telling me 
that they that it works even if they are in their group they're saying so but it's when i interview these people they're like look i don't know anything about how to give pleasure i'm just rummaging around in there with my partner um gay men saying everyone says this is great the hookup scene in college my heart was broken as a first year guy and some older guy I, you know i've been very few openly gay men boys in my high school and i get to college and there's all these open openly gay men and so i jumped on the first thing because i I was so flattered and then heartbroken and just, you know, disregarded. And women saying, I know nothing about pleasure, but if I keep hooking up and acting like this, I think it's going to work out. Like, I think somewhere along the line, I'm going to figure it out. But what you practice becomes your practice. So practicing below average sex actually leads to more below average sex. No, I I think you brought up a really good point. And so there's two things that I, I, I want to to jump on there. The first one I think is the heavy drinking, which leads to hooking up. Uh, I don't know. Most people have probably experienced this at, at some time or another, but um, if you drink heavily performance issues, definitely start happening um, to where like you, you just can't maybe get it up or, or other things like that, or you're just not into it or you fall asleep. And, and so um, it, it really doesn't, like you said, it doesn't really perpetuate having good sex. It, it's, it's something that, um, makes it mediocre or below average and you just keep perpetuating that cycle because you think that's okay. Right. And not only like performance, like, like erectile dysfunction, clearly alcohol contributes to that. Can't get it up. Can't get off. Um, and for women too, but another thing, it dulls your senses, but it also dulls your ability to read cues. So obviously it makes it more dangerous as far as consent, but even that, like, uh, people think when they're drunk, they feel like they're this dynamo sex, you know, they got it going, right? Yeah. But in reality, sober people, sharper, clear sex, but that's a vulnerable place. And we've taught people that that's a scary to be that vulnerable. And that's more so for men, but also like for women, like, you know, being their true selves, like it is a way to mask you know what the uncertainty to mask all the uncertainty around this so and it works against you it doesn't and really good sex happens when people are communicating clearly and listening to each other and you can't really listen when you're drunk or even pretty you know not even like wasted, like just Mm -hmm. drunk, you know, you're not as sharp, you're not as clear and you're not listening and great sex just doesn't happen in that context. Well, I I think you read my mind too, because the one thing I wanted to bring up was I think communication is lacking and and I I feel like people are afraid to communicate. Um, So if someone's not enjoying something or if someone's uh, maybe not doing it quite right, it, it seems like the communication isn't there or they're afraid to say, Hey, Let's not do it that way. Let's try something a little different or you're not, you're not getting the right spot. Let's, let's try something else. I think that communication is just not there. Right. And, and, and we're not taught like sexual communication is not modeled and not talked, talked about. And, um, you just struck on something that really, um, so as far as giving directions, here's, here's a major thing in heterosexual couples I hear all the time is that young men say, I cannot ask for directions. I need to know what gives pleasure. That's the rummaging. You could be rummaging for decades because female pleasure is so complicated. The clitoris hiding in the flaps and folds, not easy. So 
I hear young men say all the time, like, I can't ask. I got to figure it out. And then I talk to young women and who say, I fake orgasms. So many young women fake orgasms or don't think they're capable. It doesn't help that uh, they're still in the medical field. You're hearing that 15% of women are inorgasmic. That's actually false. It's when women have the right information, but in our sex education, we don't give them the right information. So women... Um, feel like I'm not capable of this and it's my fault and I they would they and they say I would never give directions because I don't want to make a guy feel badly about himself so what a bad thing like women saying if he asked me I'd tell him everything but he won't ask me and he can't ask because he feels you know that's not he should know and that's what it means to be a man is that you need to know how to please a woman which is an impossible task without communication so Really, and the thing is, gay men, communication is absolutely key for, you know, um, and, and so many young men say to me, or, or, and men, men of all ages, gay men of all ages say, everyone assumes that all gay men have anal sex. So many because porn, the way porn portrays anal sex for gay men and for heterosexual people is so violent and aggressive that people are imitating porn and therefore as young men have horrible first experiences and think that's it. But what no one teaches young gay men is um, you need a condom and lube that doesn't break down a condom, water, water-based water lube, and you need to be with someone you care about and know and can communicate with and, and to pace yourself and that you need to talk. But we don't teach people to talk when they're being sexual. And, and that's what's interesting is we say, get consent, get consent, get consent. Talk, 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 talk. We're saying that in one way. But yet, we there, people, it's so confusing because we also tell people you need to know how your body works. You need to know how your partner's body works. You should, you should know all this. So that's very difficult to both... You know, you need to be able to talk about contraception if it's a heterosexual hookup. You need to be able to talk about safer sex, uh, using a condom or a dental dam or a rubber glove split in half to not get STIs, giving oral sex, or and talk about pleasure and talk about consent. And I always say, if you can't talk about those four things out loud, then you're not, you shouldn't be naked or partially naked with that other person. Like that should be your, if those four things can't be talked about, get your clothes back on. And th that's the thing though, but our culture values hookups and random sex and staying casual and not catching feelings. And that is not conducive to communication. So very tricky, very tricky time to be, um, you know, being sex positive, but, and then there's confusing messages about that. Like, oh, being sex positive is being okay with having sex any which way. And and here's the thing, like whatever you want to do sexually, threesome, foursome, swinging from a trapeze with your double-headed dildo, whatever blows your dress up sexually, do it. But if you, if you ha don't start there. So many young people are like, wow, sex is not that fulfilling. I guess I have to bring in the handcuffs or bring in the trapeze or bring in the costumes and bring in the uh, or have sex in random places and that's going to make it hot and steamy it's like if you don't know how your body works and you can't communicate it to your partner and you don't have that comfort then I wouldn't start with the whipped cream and all the kinky stinky business you want to do first you need to know how to communicate and then do what you want to do whatever gets you going but um 
people sometimes rely on those things thinking if you bring the stakes higher, that's going to make it hotter and that's going to bring pleasure. But they get confused and that's the culture and that's porn, the messaging from porn and the messaging from the culture. And, you know, I can't tell you how many young women I speak to who have done all these sexual things but have never had an orgasm, a clitoral orgasm. And they're like, oh, when you ask them, well, Real empowerment is knowing your own pleasure and being able to communicate that to your partner. And they're like, well, I don't really know about that. So that false empowerment of I can do this, I have done that, and people think I'm a sexual badass, but not knowing your own body, I think start there. Can you give us some tips for communication? I feel like we, we've kind of beat around the bush a little bit. And I want to talk about what does it look like for communication for men? What does it look like for women? Okay. So communicating, you know, I think um, uh, for men, I think men with women need to be able to say, look, one thing I know is female pleasure is complicated. I need your help to to figure out what you like. So you got to give me directions. I know that's kind of weird and hard hard to do, but I need your help. And, you know, one guy, I remember I, I had spoken to the Secret Society and these about this with a whole group, and they went back to the campus. And the next night, I run an inn with my husband, and we had a whole group of women from a sorority. And these two women said, hey, are you Cindy Pierce? I was like, yeah. And she said, well, I uh, need to thank you. My boyfriend came. uh, I was sound asleep. Knock on my door. My boyfriend came and said, look, I've got some new information about how to give pleasure. And I thought I had to figure it all out, but I actually need uh, your help. And can we try some things? And she said, had my first orgasm last night. And I'm like, totally weird, but totally awesome. That's great. So being vulnerable, I think, really important for even two women to say, because two women can't, everyone assumes that two women can figure out each other very quickly and easily. I talk to women who say, I had myself figured out. I had my long-term partner figured out. And then I had a new partner who could not find her clitoris, could not give her an orgasm. So it's all about, first of all, saying, look, female pleasure is complicated. That's one thing we need to inform people about. But just also keeping it sexy and being like little to the left, let me help you out. Um, You know, so many people have said to me that they've had success figuring out when they know how their body works to sit on their partner's lap, regardless of the gender of the partner, a woman with, you know, with her clitoris, sitting on your lap, taking their hand, putting it over the, um, putting their hand over their partner's hand and showing them what gives them pleasure lift and separate like it is seriously complicated like you need to be the gps for your partner to really have orgasm certainly oral sex is easier a lot of young women are not comfortable with oral sex because they're really self-conscious and another thing is the the shaving of pubic hair has made it really complicated like so many guys tell me hooked up with this woman and she's like oh i don't feel comfortable because i didn't know i was going to hook up tonight so i haven't shaved my pubic hair the guys he, he couldn't even say it out loud He's like, I don't care what's going on. I'm psyched to be naked with you. Like, I'm not that selective. But she's so self-conscious that she won't let him give her oral sex or won't let her touch her there, you know. So that those odd little things get in the way of things. But, you know, I think acknowledging together that 
you got to work together or this doesn't feel good or someone's giving a, a blow job and it's it's too much teeth or it's too hard or it's uncomfortable you have to be able to say hey this can i give you a little tip here you have to be open to that and not be threatened so so many men say I don't want a vibrator in the room because that's I should be able to give that. Well, 70 to 80% 70 to 80% of women do not experience orgasms with penetration alone. So she needs extra stimulus with her own hand on her clitoris, with a vibrator, with her partner's thumb or partner's hand, a carpal tunnel event, it's complicated, but it is communication, communication, communication. So First, it's education about the complicated nature of how pleasure works. But it's it, for all genders and all orientations, it's you can still keep it light and say, hey, this would feel good or, or you know, that feels really good, but could you move a little to the left? How about 7 o'clock on the clitoris? Like literally that specific kind of information. And it, to not make a person feel threatened – and you and that's the first part is is a woman saying acknowledging like this is really hard or saying look giving me an orgasm it's really complicated so can i give you some tips and i think if you could say that in a light way a partner would be like thank you but they're not going to say can you give me some tips but i i wish we could get that. i wish there were pamphlets for every college student on pleasure and how to communicate like these tips of speaking up asking for directions and just reverse what the culture is saying because you're never going to get anywhere rummaging yeah it's a rummaging fest and, and cindy i guess i would also try to make the comparison here to uh, uh make it a little bit more relatable to some guys but it's kind of like when you turn 16 years old um, and you all you have the choice of an automatic vehicle or you have a, a, a manual vehicle um Every car is different as far as a manual is concerned, but it takes a lot of work to learn how to to get that clutch right and, and when you're shifting and how to shift and if it's revving too high or a little too low or if you kill the engine as you're going because you're going uphill and you clutch too much. And there's just so much that goes into it um, as far as the intricacies of the vehicle and every vehicle is different. And I've driven so many different vehicles um, that yes. were stick shift and, and it's it just you have to start getting the feel of the motion, but you need someone to show you how to initially do it and, and exactly what what does clutching even mean and how do you utilize that? And, and if you're just going down the highway, going the same speed, you can throw it into neutral and there's just so much you can do. It's it just you need someone to give you those initial directions on exactly how to, how to get that flow going and then you can start learning from there. There's a reason that I drive an automatic and not a not a manual. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> it's easier that way. I, I'm going to take this analogy a little further. So the clutch, the timing of letting off the clutch and putting on the gas, that subtle movement, um, every time you get in your car, even the same car, like you figured out this car, it is it, it just takes that extra thought and too much of anything is disruptive. So I'm going to say with the clitoris, some guys will tell tell me, they're like, you know what? I just, as soon as I find that clitoris, I just start rubbing really hard. And I'm like, oh, fella, 
clitoris has 8,000 nerves. Like the tip of the penis has 4,000 nerves. The clitoris has 8,000. Nothing on the human body has more nerves, not the tongue, not anything. So if you start rubbing on that thing, and what I say to young men is I'm like, how would that feel to have someone rubbing that hard on your testicles? And they literally wince and like clutch their crotch. Like, oh, oh," and have a little gag. They're like, no, 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 that would be horrible. And I'm like, exactly. Like, that would be horrible. Um, So that is communication. And actually, like, a light, well-lubricated touch can create the most fulfilling um, experience, but also communicating throughout, like, um, like that time. And, and the thing is, this, this is a bummer. Sometimes someone has a girlfriend and they figure out how to give her an orgasm and they're like, boom, got it done Own this can be back there. And the next time they try, they're like, why aren't, why aren't these moves working? And it's because throughout the month, throughout, over the course of years, through a lifetime, through different times of the month, your body is changing so much day to day the clitoris is like on the move it moves camp it's it's moody like i'm not a moody person the clitoris is moody like you need to adapt at all times and ask questions and when i hear women in their 30s 40s and 50s say i just want my husband to know it and i like i say that is mean because that is complicated terrain and it's impossible for him to know what you like you need to direct like it's that's so unfair yeah that's breaking go ahead i was just saying guys are just very basic human beings in general it, yeah. it, reading signs <laughs> and, and all of those things it's, it's a very difficult art to uh, master um, and it's one of those things where like there's always going to be disappointment if you just expect somebody to know what is good for you or, or what is good for you that day and and like it, going back to the the car analogy real quick it just depends on the weather conditions and and what's yeah. going on that day and and if too yeah. hot or too cold or if it's snowing or if it's raining like roads are icy yeah, yes. like it, it, there's just so much that's going on and so the one thing I would say is to kind of sum up what we've talked about so far is start with a gentle touch and let someone else communicate where to go from there um, and, and just really take it easy. There, there's no need to uh, pile drive. There's no need to make this into a construction site. Like just really right. take it easy. Exactly. And you don't. Like a pile drive you speak of just quickly, porn, so many women raise their hand in a sorority and they're like, why do guys jackhammer away on me? That hurts like hell. And I say, uh, well, why don't you speak up? And they say, I don't want to hurt his feelings. And then one woman said, I'll tell you why I don't speak up. She goes, because the sooner this ends, the better, because it hurts so right? much. I'm like, touche, Lassie, gotcha. But that pile, that pounding, most the most viewed porn, the most clicked on porn is the most accessible porn, therefore the most viewed porn. And most of that is showing absolute ravaging, hammering, pumping, like pounding, you know, giant penises in porn, just pounding women who seem to be enjoying themselves immensely. So a lot of women are like, why do they start with that? Like, I'm not even lubricated. And they start pounding away and it hurts like hell. So it is a construction site. And and some guys are like, I have like a minute and 25 seconds. I got to get as much done as I can. Like, And then some guys are like, I have erectile dysfunction, so I got to pound harder because I think that's going to keep me erect. So those are... There is, there is a collision of factors interfering in the sexual pleasure of so many young people. Mm-hmm. And it's all those things we mentioned and the analogy of weather and shifting and temperature, all those things factor right in. So let's move into kind of what it means to be in a romantic relationship now. So 
You mentioned earlier that people are afraid to talk about catching feelings or getting to know someone on an intimate level, um, at least with their personality and who they are, their character, that kind of stuff. Can you sort of speak to maybe why you don't see that quite as much on college campuses? Yeah. So uh, when you do have, when you find everyone is aiming for it secretly, craving the intimacy, not everyone, but a lot of young people hope to find that partner. But they have to act like they don't because that's the game. That's the normalized culture of hookup culture. It's like this is, we're keeping it light and tight here. And then even though everyone secretly wants a partner, when someone actually gets into a romantic relationship, the grief that particularly young men have among each other is it goes back to the old, bro, you know, bros before hoes. So even though there's jealousy when a guy has an intimate relationship and there's a lot of scrutiny of the partner he chooses, everyone's shopping for negative things about that person and how she's interfered with your friendship. And, and it's, this is the masculinity training crap that we have in our culture. People say that boys are so not dramatic. I'm sorry. I have been for 16 years neck deep in boy world, man world. And there's so much drama, but it's disguised as banter on social media and bro talk um, and everything of, else. What's that? I would say in bro talk as well. Is that they, they yeah, just the kind bro talk? Keeping yeah. It, yeah. So it's perpetuating this idea that like you know and calling a guy a pussy or a fag and and it's funny like people use the term you're so whipped that term when you tell young people like do you know where that's from that's actually was called pussy whipped for years and now we've reduced it because no one's willing to use the word pussy but it's really saying you're you're pussy whipped and so um so saying someone's whipped is a, a put down, but really what's behind that in most cases is I miss my best buddy. I miss spending time with my guy friends. I miss the time you used to be. And they use things like you used to be more fun. You don't party as much. You don't come out with us as much. And you're so serious. And, and there's so much like you have to be a strong guy to stay in your relationship. And, um, so everything's trying to undermine it. Like particularly in a fraternity where there's so much time to get and you have this this great bond and it it takes away from the group experience when you have a partner yet everyone's hoping for it so if you're strong and you can withstand it all it usually can can work out but there is this uh kind of taking pleasure in someone else's when someone's heart is broken or the relationship ends others kind of take a little bit of pleasure in seeing that end and it's and I just think if you really dig into the criticism of someone, so some people are in relationships and totally hide out. And, and, and you know, I say to people, if someone tells you, let's keep this on the DL, that's not a healthy relationship. That's someone who's fearful of judgment of their friends. That's someone who is embarrassed by you or is enjoying the sex, but doesn't want to acknowledge that you're dating. So I think, um, you know, I think um, from the guy side of it, there, there's a lot working against you getting into a relationship. And um, but if, but if you can, and, you know, I just don't think it's valued as much. There's so much we've got better things to do, like than be in a relationship. And it's just so boring. And that's this is college and you should be having the time of your life hooking up with all these randos rather than being in a relationship. It's like, really? Because that that whole hookup with randos is 
not feeling great, but we're all pretending it feels great. I mean, that's it's a weird uh, kind of tolerated thing. Now, among women, I think there's more support if you get into a, a relationship, but boy, the guy will be scrutinized. Like if he has a reputation hooking up with some people or if either in any gender, just if someone has a reputation, the friends will ride that. Yeah. And remind yeah. you of that, and uh, just be like, do you know that guy hooked up with her, and he did, he did, and back when he was a sophomore, he did this, and 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 it's all, you know, I I think what's rooted in it often is jealousy. Mm-hmm. So everyone's conspiring against you know the relationship. Meanwhile, they're hoping for it, which is a twisted, wackadoodle way to like keep things going. Well, I I would go as far as to say is that I think people don't know how to have a romantic relationship. Um, I I don't think there's many good examples out there anymore, especially with just this culture. So they're seeing their peers, um, quote unquote, have relationships, but I wouldn't call them romantic relationships. And so I I think that's an issue. And I think people try to fall in love too quickly. Um, So like after the first date, they try, they're waiting for the word. I love uh, the words. I love you. um, Instead of really trying to investigate, is this the person that I want to spend some time with and really start working towards discovering if this is going to be a romantic relationship um, instead of just saying, yep, let's get, let's get engaged. Let's get married after the first date type of thing. And so I I just think people are are, are a little confused on what a romantic relationship is supposed to look like. So a couple things I want to cover the reverse dating idea and being fuck struck. So this is another thing when people like the first part of your relationship, everyone is like my, my, my sister always call it, you're fuck struck. You're like so blinded. The sex is great. You're, you're so in love. You think you're in love, 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 love. Yeah. And it's, it's <clears throat> love is when you can do the ups and downs and that you can connect outside of the bedroom and with your partner and really know them and know all aspects of them and that it's not based on sex. It's a friendship and that takes time. And I think you're right. It's, it's, um, there is this, so I, I heard in a high school, they're now teaching, like in some places they're, they're starting teaching love because people have no clue how to connect and our phones keep us at a distance mm-hmm. and people out often initiate relationships through social media. So the actual face to face time, people don't have a lot of experience and people feel socially awkward. And it's interesting. Like I was a elementary school teacher. Uh, for for years and in the 90s um, there there were certain things if you had a kid who was on the spectrum in your class there were these they'd kind of give you a list of this is what we're working on with the social skills for this kid like how to how to ask questions and how to connect I'm finding that that these same skills that were used for kids on the spectrum are needed for almost all young people now that we need how to speak and people are like it's so awkward it feels so awkward awkward the use of the word awkward it is constant and people you know and people say well we don't you know in the future for work all you old people think we don't need we we actually are going to be on computers and we don't really need all the things you're talking about and the thing is you're being hired by old people in jobs you're you're you know we we expect young people to look you in the eye, shake your hand, but there's so much weirdness when people don't have that experience and that's converting to the relationship. So the face to face is the trick. And a lot of people say, once I've been bantering with someone through social media, 
when the time comes to actually spend time with them, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to do. And you can't, you can't curate what you say because when you start to write a text or you start to write a comment or you start to write anything, you can change your mind and, and kind of shift it around and, and edit it and then send it. And then you have to think on the run when you're face to face. And that's a big part of what's missing here. And, and like that developing those skills is, is tricky. I mean, and I think that that's what we're finding. And so the reverse dating, a lot of people, you know, young people have described to me, they're like, we don't date anymore. We hook up. But what we're hoping is to eventually date. So if you hook up, if two people hook up, that means maybe one of the people in that hookup is interested. Like, really? The other's in it just for the sex. And then secondly, if you hook up again, second time, that probably means both people are interested. And if you hook up a third time, then it may be turning into a thing. So it's this idea of I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to put my cards on the table. I'm going to protect my heart, and I'm going to have an exit ramp in sight as I explore this through this random hookup, and then not so random, then it becomes the known, and then we got together a third time, and then we decide which direction we're going in. And, and I often hear from people who say, I can tell I, I am more interested in this person, and I'm trying to pretend and play the game by acting like I don't care. And every time he or she says, um, let's keep this, you know, like casual. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. But just secretly hoping that it's going to change and convert. Definitely. Um, and, and so I guess one of the things I, I, I think we've danced around it a little bit. And, and so, um, you mentioned is that people aren't being educated properly about sex and relationships. Um, do you think that needs to be done during the, the maturation process? Is is that when a good time is to educate people and who should who should be facilitating that education? Okay, so for starters, I think this really starts when they're little. That I think our biggest crisis is sexuality education and parents want the school to do it. The school is limited. I've worked in a public school. You are quite limited because you um you have parents who think uh, that no one should be learning about sex because if you teach kids about sex, they'll have more of it. And even though for 15 years we've had this research that kids who are sexually educated early in their life uh, have healthier relationships. So it used to be sex ed in fifth grade. Because of the Internet, it is now between the ages of five and seven that we are expected to teach our kids as parents. But here and now, here's the trick. You've got a whole lot of parents who feel sexually inadequate, who can't resolve their own relationship issues, who can't talk, and, and now we're asking them to, so really it's about parents getting themselves educated, getting working through their own crap so that they can sit down with their kids between the ages of five and seven and lay it down. Like babies come from all different places. They're adopted. They're, um, you know, in vitro. There's, uh, you know, surrogate parents. Um all you've got friends, you know, basically you say you've got friends with two moms, two dads, a single mom. Um, and, and, and that sex is about make, making babies, but sex is also about pleasure and that all that, and talk about like, I mean, with my kids, we were very open. They had enough friends with parents of all orientations that we were able to say, here are how all different relationships work. And, and sex is about love and connection and pleasure. And, um, you know, I think that's where we're really missing the window. And so therefore you've got 
repressed parents or uncomfortable talking about it because it's so painful. And they come up with all these reasons. I want to protect their innocence. Um, they're not ready. They haven't asked questions. You actually, if your kids don't ask questions, you have to blast in there and give it. I mean, you should be talking to kids about porn by and Internet safety by third grade because – you know, most these days we're hearing from college students that they've seen porn. It used to be kind of the most common age was 11, and now it's nine. So sex education early and often. It's not one conversation. It's not a talk. It's many conversations over time. And then as and as they get to be teenagers, and then at 12, our opinions as parents don't matter. So you got to get to them before 12. And then once they're 12, all bets are off. you got to be able to talk to them about everything. And so sending a kid educated to college increases the chances that they're not going to get caught up in the rando hookup. Mm -hmm. So certainly school needs to give sex ed, but they're doing like giving you tampons and deodorant in fifth grade and talking about the fallopian tubes and pregnancy. No one's talking about pleasure in there because parents would go through the roof, right? So pleasure, um, everyone just hopes that girls and women will figure that out. And, um, and and no one wants to interfere with boys and their masturbation habits. Like moms feel like that's not Definitely. their terrain. And dads are like, I looked at magazines. He's looking at porn, internet porn. That's how it is. So no one's making sense of the internet porn, which younger and younger boys are seeing. So it's about interrupting the cultural messages. If parents don't speak up, Google wins and the culture wins and the internet wins. So you have to ask yourself as a parent, do you want that message out there or do you want to first lay down some healthy ideas about sexuality and then keep the conversation going to help them make sense of what they see? So that's where it really has to be. I would say in high school, I love the idea that at this school, um, you know, a teacher at Beaver Country Day School and I think at Nobles were teaching about love and relationships, like teaching, actively teaching kids about love and romance. And, um, you know, I think like these, some people have taken over the top, the promposal. That's not really about the person. That's about showing people up. That's not romance to me. That's just like material objects to, that's, um, that's totally flexing on other kids to see if you can outdo them. And it's, it's almost selfish. It's you're, you're doing it for yourself and not for the other person. Um, but I would say that what we've just talked about, I think, segues into uh, talking about self-confidence, modesty and insecurity. And, and so I don't want to shift away from talking directly about women, but I'd really like to talk about boys for a second, since that's our, our, our main mm -hmm. constituency here. Um, but so kind of that that educating them about more than just the basics about deodorant, masturbation, things like that. Um, I think when people start looking at porn and, and they then they go to the locker room and have to change in front of people and have to shower in a group and, and all these things, they feel so uh, insecure about themselves because porn puts on this this stigma of this is this is the size you're supposed to be and this is what you're supposed to look like. And and if you don't, you, you're you're not a, as good of a man as someone else. And so I would like to start kind of talking about that, Cindy. So wherever you want to start there, it'd be great. So that I would say from the time I was 12, I played baseball with boys um, young and I was I look like a little boy I hadn't even developed, hadn't even seen a penis. And I can't tell you how many boys on my team were like, hey, can you ask the girls or all your older sisters and sisters-in-law like what's 
do you think it's okay if my penis is this? Like, I have a big shaft and a small head. I'm like this tiny little seventh grade kid, and I'm like, I'll, I'll check around. I'll do some <laughs> research. Boys were so already panicked in the 70s yeah. about their penises, right? Like, penis panic has been an issue for generations. Like, it's just what it, like, every guy, and it's not just size, it's is my penis okay? Now, among heterosexual women, they're like, not that selective. Like, they all work those penises. But we, they're in the locker room. There are growers and showers. There's some kids who have a huge penis that just stiffens up. Some have a tiny little shrinky-dink that expands to, like, you know, six inches when it's fully erect. But porn has amplified penis panic among young men, like, you would not believe. I mean, I have college guys raising their hands like, do you think this is okay? And it's perfect because I look like their mother or their <laughs> grandmother in some cases. And they're like, I am so desperate to know if my penis is okay that I'm going to ask this random woman who's in my fraternity. So, I, I mean, from seventh grade till 53 years old, that is one of the most common things that men are worried about, feeling enough about their penis and about their bodies. And, and, and the thing is, like, men are exit training camp is happening in all these men's magazines online. So men are feeling less adequate and feeling so self-conscious. And it's really hard to feel okay as a young man in, in our world. And it just gets worse and worse with the cultural and the porn influences. So what is a guy to do? I think, like what, what is, what is a boy, a guy to do to, to, I guess, to get comfortable with their own body and, and to, to be okay with themselves. Cause I think that's the bigger question is, is really, okay. I, I'm not, I'm not secure about myself. I'm afraid to, to even be half nude in front of a, a friend or, or somebody like that. But I, I think that's really the best place to learn these things or to, to, to gain that, that confidence. But I guess I just don't know how to, how do you communicate that some, that to somebody like you need to get okay with this. So one thing, just around penis size, this changes lives immediately. When I go into a fraternity or a high school and I say to boys, the average size penis in porn is eight inches. Now, I used to say, because there's multiple studies and these all the, you know, decimals, you know, the average size penis in real life is five and a half inches. Last year, I'm in a high school, sophomore boy, all genders in the room. He raises his hand reluctantly. He says, excuse me. Um, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I read a study on penis size last night, and I'm thinking, it's Tuesday. You spend a Monday night looking at penis size studies. You go, fella. Like, this is how we know boys and men are freaked out about the penis size. And he's like, and, and he says, I read a study that said that actually the average size penis of a fully erect male, you know, adult male is 5.14 inches. Now, all the boys in the room are wide-eyed, looking up at him, looking at me, like, who do we believe? And the girls are looking around like five and a half, five point one four. Anyone have a pro like what is what is the difference? Now I said, do you have your laptop? Yes. Will you look up that study? Because I think you're right. I've heard this, but let's confirm. And I said, you look up that study. So he's on his computer. He's got two boys leaning over him. All the boys are looking so excited. And he gets the study, names the study. He's like five point one four. The room erupts. Every boy in the room is like, yeah. <laughs> now you think you think they're sophomores, and that's why they're struggling with that. I can lay down that fact that the average size fully erect penis is 5.14. Inevitably, a senior in his fraternity, because he's close with all his brothers and he feels connected with all of these guys, 
leaps from his seat, high fives his buddies, like, thank you, I feel normal again. Like, there, th- this is, I think, just getting the facts out there, but it's also taking a break from porn. I think, so addiction to porn is not something I talk a lot about. I think mostly people are, are like some boys have said to me, a senior in college said, I only look at porn because I don't have a girlfriend or a wife because once I have that, I won't need porn. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to be jerking off for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, just so you know, you're not going to have a partner and you tap her on the shoulder and say, I'm ready to go. And, and she's not there to provide services for you. So it's a it's a collection of things you got to do to feel better about yourself. But actually bringing in people to talk about the masculine, like doing the man box, like what does it mean to be a man in our culture? What does our society say? And in that box are all these terms. And you can do it with 12-year-olds, 20-year-olds. 30-year-olds, and they will say a lot of the same things, has sex a lot, drinks a lot, um, athletic, um, has a lot of money, uh, you know, all these things that we still value. Like, here we have worked so hard and we're so inclusive of all genders, yet we still have these very clear gender straitjackets for male and female. And the ma- the pressure of what it means to be a man is to constantly prove your masculinity and prove your heterosexuality, whether you're heterosexual or not. And those conversations, and then when you, what you say to young men, okay, so what's outside the box? And it's amazing what they're in a group of young men in college or high school or beyond. You'll say, what's not manly? Um, uh, skinny jeans. Um, and there'll be one kid who will be like theater, someone who does theater. And it's always the kid who's in theater and everyone laughs because he's, and then the kid will say, yeah, I'm in theater. And I get so much grief because I'm in theater or a singing group. And so these ideas of what's, you know, being emotional, being sensitive and, and being manly enough is not showing emotions and being strong, like emotionally and physically. So then, in, and then you ask young men, you say, think of a man you admire the most, the man you want to be. What is that man like? And almost always, his qualities are often outside the man box. And the sooner a young man can can wake up and say, oh, this is all bullshit. I actually can live by my own terms. And how do we facilitate that? That is being exposed to a mentor who's really strong. Like I know in fraternities, a lot of guys say there were these two older guys. And they pulled me aside and made me feel okay and made me realize, like, to see this and see that I'm going to be okay and and, and understand, you know, and and give me hope. And so sometimes someone interrupts that, a role model, an anchoring adult, um, an older brother in the fraternity who helps them change their view and can save them emotionally, save them from the crap. So how do they – but otherwise, unchecked. A guy could go to his grave. I mean, I can't tell you how many men in my, in my 50s were having nervous breakdowns, dying by suicide, attempted suicide, struggling, hospitalized, because they're like, I'm 54, and I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm 54, and I haven't. I can't take care of my family. I'm 54, and I'm not man enough. That crap will haunt young men will hunt, haunt men throughout their lives until they interrupt it. So what's going to interrupt that? And and you have such an opportunity with a fraternity to either interrupt it or perpetuate that. And I think Lambda Chi, what I know about Lambda Chi is you're doing a much better job than most fraternities really digging in and addressing some of these things. There's room to be individuals in Lambda Chi, and, and, and I got that sense like with what I've talked to Wally about and his experiences, and then... 
out, like just being at that conclave, I think it was called the conclave, the oh, summit. The least seminar, um, yeah. Okay, so being among those brothers and talking to them, I just felt like this is a more accepting, like the vibe of Lambda Chi is more accepting. There's more room to be a more varied kind of man. Definitely. And I, I think that's a lot of lot of good points. And, and I think it's something that I'm excited for you to expound upon at our conference this summer. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be very beneficial for uh, guys to be able to actually interact and ask questions and and kind of be in that more comfortable space that you provide for them. Um, but one of the things I really want to do right now is just um, like we normally do, go around the horn and, and, and let's give everyone um, a, what was your biggest takeaway or piece of advice. Uh, we'll start with Thomas and then um, Cindy will end with you. Um, so Thomas, what are your thoughts? Um, I think almost everything you've said I've seen in the past year, like an example of, and I think a lot of guys are just so insecure with every, not knowing or they uh, hide that insecurity with setting these unrealistic goals or uh, goals that you know are greater than themselves. What the ultimate irony is the most manly thing you can do is be comfortable with yourself and know that. People recognize that confidence. People see that confidence. Like knowing who you are and like your, your body is you. It's not going to change. You could pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a change, but at the end of the day, like the minute you can accept yourself for who you are is the minute you become the man you're supposed to be. Definitely. Jaron? Yeah, so the biggest takeaway I'd say that I have is um, what kind of the analogy behind sex and then driving a car uh, and then the automatic versus the stick shift, uh, the manual. Um, to me, that's there's so much validity in that. It's, I, I joke and say that I... I, I kept it easy by just driving an automatic but i think that that's i can definitely see how i would apply that actually to my the relationship that i have with my girlfriend because it's i just take the easy rate route definitely so. Lindsay, for me it's kind of just being kinder to ourselves and kinder to other people it's it's so rude of us to put expectations on someone else sexually or you know with intimate romantic relationships any of that um and so when we tell ourselves okay I'm okay. I'm allowed to just do me and ask questions. We're able to kind of put that off to other people and make others feel like, oh, they're okay too. Let's have a healthy conversation about this. Definitely. Mine would be be comfortable with yourself. You can't really change what you got, so you might as well embrace it. And don't be afraid to talk to your peers and your friends about this. Um, if you can't have this conversation with people that you call best friends or or whatever, then I don't know, really know who you can have this relate or th- these conversations with. Um, you call these guys brothers, but you're afraid to, to have the most basic elements of a conversation with them about yourself, your body, your relationships. And so you need to really be comfortable with who you are um, and just embrace it. That's what I got to say. Cindy, let's wrap it up with you. Respond to each of you just quickly here. This idea, Lindsay, like talking about being kinder to yourself. I think it is interesting when you're okay with yourself and you get behind the body you're in. You know, I think um, that 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 inspires others and puts people at ease. And also, a lot of young people are feeling inadequate, and they they step on other people to elevate themselves. So they put people down. And if you can take the high road and have the courage and the strength to, you know, get behind who you are and be okay with yourself, that spreads. And that like puts other people at ease. Um, 
And so that idea, like don't apologize for your body, like knowing who you are, getting behind your body. I think this is really important. And yeah, the the easy route, like driving an automatic, um, you know, with our partners, really important to understand there's nuance below that level, like get in that manual car and, and have the conversation, even though it's harder, it takes more focus, takes more communication. And ending here, um, this idea of being vulnerable, being vulnerable takes practice. Like having, like I talk about social courage, you know, that's not being an extrovert. That's speaking, that's standing alone, having the courage to stand alone, to speak your mind, to call out a microaggression. That takes courage. And it all, that kind of courage takes practice. And once you do it, it kind of builds on itself. So building, creating, cultivating a practice of being courageous and being true to yourself will convert in so many ways and make your 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 own personal inner life so much healthier and therefore convert to amazing relationships. Definitely. Yeah. So I just want to personally thank you so much, Cindy, for for taking some time out of the day to uh to to talk with us. And and what I would say is um on YouTube, go and visit uh Cindy Pierce's most recent TEDx talk. It's uh how porn skews sexual expectations. Um we'll also plug it in in the description of this vid or this podcast. Um also Cindy-Pierce.com. That's Cindy-P-I-E-R-C-E.com. Uh, to get more info about Cindy, she would love to come out and speak to your group. Um, so please do not hesitate to, uh, to to reach out to her. Yes, Cindy, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Definitely, and we look forward to seeing you this summer. Yes, we'll see you in, we'll see you in August. Alrighty. Bye. I think it was so great to have Cindy on the podcast. And, and I think we, we've touched on a topic that we probably normally wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think it's beneficial. Like we always talk about breaking down stereotypes and really creating that all around better man in general for Lambda Kai Alpha. And so I think some of these topics we need to talk about, even if it does make some people uncomfortable or, or it's taboo. But I, I think it's necessary to to have these discussions openly and honestly Uh, to to get everything out on the table. Yeah, she gave some great information and practical tips. And it was it was something that you can listen to this podcast and you can really apply what she said to your real life. And like you said, it's something that's a little bit taboo. And by us speaking about it, I think it's going to help Lambda Kai's and whoever chooses to listen to learn a little bit more about themselves and a little bit more about the people they, you know, choose to be intimate with. Yeah. And I think like the overarching message of everything we spoke of is really communication is so key um, to not just the sexual relationship, but the romantic relationship and even intimate relationships between friends. And and you call these people your brothers, your family, your best friends, um, but you're afraid to talk about such basic concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I think communication is so important for all of us to to really utilize and hone in on. Yeah, I totally agree. So anyone had like any big takeaways, something that uh, maybe they didn't know before this podcast started? I think from my perspective, I didn't realize the kind of insecurity that comes just with being a man in that space. I had always known there was a little bit of that, but I didn't completely get the whole scope of it. It just wasn't something I had was aware of or 
knew even existed. Yeah. And I, I think even p- if people don't realize it's happening, I think there's a competition factor in there too, to where mm-hmm. um, you need to either be as good, if not better than everyone else in the room. And, and so even physical, there's like a physical part of that as well. It's like, you just need to be physically as bad, as good or better than someone else. And if you're not, you're insecure. And, and, and so you're afraid to, to be yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that part of that even stems from the fact that you are more of a man if you are of a different size or shape. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, she, she touched on it and it was, it's, it's completely false. Um, like she said, the average male penis size is 5.14 inches. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's not very common knowledge for most people because we, what we expect, what we think, and I think it goes back to kind of expectations versus reality is because of things that we see on TV or the internet, we want that to be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And when she talked about porn, you know, it really does skew how you view the penis size. Yeah. It's 5.14. The average is average for a reason. Yeah. And here we are thinking, oh, it needs to be huge. It needs to be so big. Well, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the things we didn't completely touch on, but uh, really the the average depth of, of any orifice that you're going to be using is about four inches. And so mm-hmm. um, 5.1 inches seems more than adequate for that. Um, and I think the three inch difference between the average of the population in general and the average in porn, it, it, I think it really skews those results to where people just think uh, they're inadequate if they're not meeting up to those standards. As always, like and subscribe to the Chop Talk podcast on your favorite podcast streaming service, um, as well as take our listener survey. We've got um, a lot of exciting episodes coming up, but we want to know input from you guys. We want to know what you guys want us to talk about. So you can do that at lambdakai.org slash chop talk or email us any topic questions you have to chop talk at lambdakai.org. Definitely. And don't forget to watch Cindy's new TEDx video, uh, the way porn skews the sexual expectations on YouTube. Um, also, don't forget to visit her website, cindy-pierce.com. That's cindy-p-i-e-r-c-e.com. And as always, on behalf of myself, Lindsay, Jaron, Thomas, and everyone else here at the International Headquarters, I want to thank you all for listening.
she walked in the place I knew her smile in an instant I knew the curve of her face It was my own lovely lady And she said, oh, it's you Then we laughed for a moment And I said, I never knew That you liked me 